0: Good morning, Blue Point Bible Church. This morning we were supposed to show you a video by Dallas Willard from the Catalyst Conference in 2010. And in the video, what Dallas Willard, a man who has been involved with Christianity for 70 years, what he says in this video is that what we have wrong in the church is the central message that Christianity has been preaching. He's calling the central message into question. Question. This should cause some pause in the church. This should cause some dismay that theologians are realizing that the church has had the central message wrong. But praise God that the information age is allowing for a reexamination, truly a First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 moment for the church. We must decide, are we waiting for something or living in the reality of it? And yes, I speak of the kingdom of God. Today we will start part one of theorizing the church as I explain the vision I have not only for Blue Point Bible Church but for the church at large. Today we will focus on the call, the central message of the church, which I title Kingdom Now. Many of you have heard me continually speak about Ephesians chapter 3 in which it says that we the church are called to make known the manifold wisdom of God. That wisdom is the mystery, the kingdom of God. That mystery is the kingdom of God. It was Helmut Richard Niebuhr who said, the great Christian revolutions come not by discovery of something that was not there before. They happen when someone takes radically something that has always been there. I firmly believe we are experiencing this in our time. I think the more that the contextual message of the scriptures is dealt with, in what is being called the information age, I think those who are willing to be intellectually honest will take radically what has always been there. This kingdom of God stuff is a game changer. It has been a contention of mine ever since I became a Christian that there's a serious lack of focus on the kingdom of God within the church. Surely Jesus' first statement of public ministry was, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And most of his messages dealt with how this kingdom life was to be lived out. As was pointed out in the video at the beginning, we have focused on other sound bites of the message rather than the central message. This shouldn't surprise anyone. The people of God, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, have had a hard time staying focused on God's way. It seems we always choose idols, and yes, Eve's desire to be like God by eating the apple was idolatry. I will deal with that a bit later in this message. Israel had a very similar problem. When Moses led them out of Egypt, they grumbled and complained constantly and desired to return to Egypt. It has been said that Moses freed them from slavery in Egypt in the physical sense, but their minds were still held captive by the Pharaoh. So yes, we will find some serious flaws in the way the biblical message is being explained and embodied by the people of God. Consistent with idolatry comes the focus on individuals and individual interpretations of Scripture. The focus on sound bites that maybe work for us or seem right to us individually at the expense of the whole contextual story. This could very well be called idolatry. How about the refusal to correct our view or to get rid of our presuppositions once they have been proven wrong? I would say that is idolatry as well. We make ourselves, our concepts of truth, our concepts of false, right and wrong, our idols. It is this which has led to mass confusion in regards to explaining and living out the kingdom of God. Many, if not all of you, are familiar with the current Reformation happening in Christian theology regarding the end times or what is referred to as eschatology. We here at Blue Point Bible Church believe in the contextual and consistent message of fulfilled Bible prophecy. Sadly, since the constant focus of piecemealing scripture, creating doctrines out of scripture, out of areas of Scripture, that is, and allegiance to the doctrines of man and creeds, the claims of fulfilled Bible prophecy are not accepted nor understood by a large part of the global Christianity. And it's a horror to consider what this means for a world we are are called to witness to. As was said by a fellow Reformer, the real reason the influence of secular unbelief is so great in our day lies in the widespread failure of Christians to understand the Bible in its own context and present real Christianity to the world. We who desire not only to worship the nations. So I ask you, how do you envision a better world? Think of some of the key ideas of your vision for a better world this morning. What inspires you? What burdens you so much that you need to see it fixed? What do you believe is the purpose to this thing we call life? How men and women think about God or don't think about God has a great deal to do with how they envision a just society and how they determine the appropriate means by which to build that society. This means taking theology serious. That was historian George Weigel. Your beliefs inform your worldview. That is why proper understanding of God, proper understanding of His purposes are so necessary. It has been said that most, if not all, social malignancies a nightmare of a word, that is, can be traced back to one source, a defective understanding of these things. So, we have to get this whole vision for the world, this kingdom of God thing, right. When we open our Bibles, we arrive at the beginning, or what is called Genesis. God starts with Adam and Eve, a story which depicts law, sin, and death. This is the beginning of God's covenant relationship with man. Through Adam and Eve, a physical lineage of people of God is created. The first establishment of covenant we see through this lineage is with Noah and his children. Through his son Shem, Abram is born. It is to Abram, later known as Abraham, that God promises, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God eventually establishes the covenant of circumcision with Abraham and his descendants. That would be reckoned through Isaac, a set-apart people to whom he would be their God. We see this in Genesis chapter 17. Jacob, the son of Isaac, later inherits the covenant blessing of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis chapter 35. As we finish the book of Genesis, the beginnings, we enter into the book of Exodus. Now we see God dealing with these 12 tribes of Israel who are in bondage in Egypt. God is about to put on quite the show to make very clear that these are his people. A man named Moses is called to represent God to the people of Israel and to the leaders in Egypt. This is the famous let my people go moment. The Pharaoh refuses and God unleashes quite the fury of plagues upon the people of Egypt. This makes it very clear that God is working on the behalf of Israel. If you will, turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19. And I'm going to start at verse 1. In the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that very day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. When they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness, and there Israel camped in front of the mountain. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the people of the earth. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words which the Lord commanded him. All the people answered together and said all that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold I will come to you in a thick cloud so that the people may hear you when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Then Moses told the words of the of the people to the Lord. The Lord also said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. And let them wash their garments, and let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people. You shall set bounds for the people all around, saying, Beware that you do not go up to the mountain or touch the border of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall surely be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall surely be stoned or shot through. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the ram's horn sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. He said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. So it came about the third day when it was morning that there was thunder and lightning flashes and a thick cloud upon the mountain and a very loud trumpet sound so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. God sets apart Israel, eventually gives them a law which is known as Torah, which included the Ten Commandments and over 600 laws that will set them apart from the nations. If you will, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Starting at verse 1. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform, so that you may live and go out and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I am commanding you, nor take away from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord has done in the case of Valpeor. For all the men who followed Valpeor, the Lord your God has destroyed them from among you. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. See, I have taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that a God so near to it as is the Lord our God whenever we call on him? Or what great nation is there that has statutes and judgments as righteous as this whole law which I am setting before you today? Only give heed to yourselves and keep your soul diligently so that you do not forget the things which your eyes have seen and they do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and grandsons. Remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when the Lord said to me, assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. To make what seems to be a pretty long story, what we would call redemptive history, the people of Israel fail. They turn to idols. They eventually declare they want a man to be their king rather than being set apart with God as their king. God very clearly tells them what will come of them Israel's unfaithfulness will lead to God's next program, so to speak, grace. God will bring judgment, he declared on Israel for forsaking his covenant. But this won't be like the flood of Noah. Rather, God's Son will embody all that Israel was meant to be. Israel was known as heaven and earth, since they exhibited God's covenant before the world. But now God was going to create a new heaven and a new earth. This was the mystery of the ages that would be revealed through Jesus Christ. This is and was the kingdom of God. The story of Israel's kingdom is parallel to the story of God's kingdom. The physical kingdom was a shadow of Christ's kingdom. Israel's kingdom was formed out of the Exodus. It developed progressively as Joshua, ironically the Hebrew name for Jesus. The judges and the early kings of Israel conquered the land of Canaan. The fulfillment of God's kingdom promises to Israel came through the reign of David, who defeated all of God's enemies eloquently quoted in Beyond Creation Science. Israel's kingdom was a physical reality among the nations. The kingdom of God would go much deeper into the heart of mankind. In Isaiah chapter 9, it talks about the eternal kingdom of God that would come to us when a son is born. When John the Baptist arrived on the scene, if Israel thought the Passover was a big show concerning God's covenant, they were about to experience something much bigger. If you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. Now in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all of Judea, and all the districts around Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruit in keeping with repentance." And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the lake of fire. The children of Abraham were about to come under judgment. The wrath of to come. They had forsaken the covenant God made with their fathers. This would exhibit and exemplify the gospel message, the good news of the kingdom of God. And we read about this in the parable in Matthew chapter 22 when it says that he sent his servants to tell the people and they killed the servants. And then he sent his son and they killed his son and then he sent his armies to destroy that wicked city. Evangelion, the Greek term for which we get evangelism, actually refers to the imperial pronouncement that an heir to the throne had been born Or a battle had been won. That put quite the spin on our declaration before the world, doesn't it? She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bond servant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. Jesus Christ came on behalf of the promises made to Israel to fulfill the promises which also brought judgment since Israel did not follow through with their covenant. This was the wrath to come through the fulfillment of Israel's promises, the spiritual kingdom of God would be revealed as the physical kingdom of Israel was coming under judgment and destruction. Many within Israel did not understand the spiritual nature of what God was doing and instead continued to look for a future physical kingdom. In AD 70, the reality was made clear. As the historian Josephus noted, God removed himself from among us. As the temple and city of Jerusalem came under judgment, This made all too clear the reality of what Jesus presented. If you don't mind, turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. I'm going to start at verse 1 and go down to verse 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death, there will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said behold i am making all things new and he said Write, for these words are faithful and true then he said to me it is done i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end i will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost he who overcomes will inherit these things and i will be his god and he will be my son But for the cowardly and the unbelieving, the abominable and the murderers and the immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all the liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. If you will, go with me to verse 10. And he carried me away in this spirit into a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very costly stone as a stone of crystal-clear jasper. Going to verse 22 in chapter 21. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need for the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illuminated it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, Its gates will never be closed and they will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then he showed me a river, a water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side, the river was a tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer any curse and the throne of God and the lamb will be in it and his bond servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of light or a lamp or the light of the sun because the Lord God will illuminate them. And they will reign forever. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the spirits of prophets sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard then saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Sadly, many of us have not heard the story of the kingdom of God this way. If we don't understand the gospel as being rooted in the overarching historical biblical story, the gospel remains ambiguous to us. It seems to be a set of wise, abstract truths, devotional reading, that we end up applying our presuppositions to. This isn't God or God's purpose that we end up loving. Rather, we end up loving our created version of who God is and what his purpose is. Most of the time focused on ourselves. A right perception and experience of God as well as the power and purpose of the kingdom are vital for us to know and explain what the world is looking for. The world is looking for something else. The failure of Christians to understand covenant, how God is working in and through his people, has led to distorted theology as well as the distorted representation of what exactly Jesus came to establish. As author Tom Hollett rightly said, To understand why it was so natural for Jews and God-fearers to accept the teachings of the apostles, we need to understand what the Jews had been waiting for. Many times as I sit and I read through scripture, I wonder if many are reading the Bible or simply parroting what they have been taught about Jesus and his message from others, who are quite possibly simply doing the same thing and parroting what they heard about Jesus and his teachings. It seems Jesus' way of teaching and what he has taught stand in glaring contrast to what I hear coming from many pulpits. Austrian philosopher Ivan Illich once, was once asked, what is the most revolutionary way to change society? Is it violent revolution or is it gradual reform? Illich gave a careful answer. Neither. If you want to change society, you must tell an alternative story. This is exactly what I see Jesus doing through the Gospels. He says things like, The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I come so that they might have life and life to the full. If you continue in my word, then you are truly the disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall. For it had been founded upon the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Do not worry, saying, What will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek these things. For your your heavenly Father knows that you need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. But he also has some very radical teachings, such as, die to yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Any man or woman who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. To bring an alternative message, we must ensure that we are endeavoring to live an alternative life. The clearest way, as far as I can see, To experience this liberation is by understanding and applying the genius of the Beatitudes to our lives. Our role as Christ followers is to utter a subversion of reality, an alternative vision of reality, that says another way of life is not only possible, but is mandated, is necessary. It's been said, in order to serve our world, we must betray it. If you remember in Deuteronomy chapter 4, when God commanded his people to live in light of his covenant, he told them the nations would know them as a people of wisdom and understanding. We as Christians have been called to follow Jesus, who brought life to the full. So we are the expert life coaches. We are the life coaches. People are out there paying for life coaches. We should be telling them how to live victorious lives. We have the message that brings life to the full or, depending on what Bible you're reading, abundant life. If you don't like oppression, you need to leave Egypt. This has never been an easy task. Just look back to the Israelites as they left during Passover. They grumbled and continually longed to go back to slavery in Egypt where at least they had the basic creature comforts. The reason we do not live in a utopian world, this is actually something I've read Uh, Recently, I thought this was amazing. The reason we do not live in a utopian world is because God's world is designed to show the blessings and necessity of covenant with Him. Faith in His promises. That's why the world isn't perfect. That's why we in Christ have the blessings. But the world has not entered into the gates. Sadly, we live in a world of Egypt dwellers. Those who are at least satisfied with mediocre life. This is a form of idolatry. We are called to turn the world upside down by challenging the worldviews of the people around us and showing them life to the full. Truly embodying joy, peace, patience, self-control, and all those other things we so desire, yet only come by the grace of God. We are not called to beg the world to come to Christ. We are called to embody his kingdom as we live in the full reality of the kingdom now. Now we will see how God rewards the world for their idolatry. If you were to read Ezekiel chapter 14 and Isaiah 50, and you notice what happened to old covenant Israel, God will reward the nations in keeping with their idolatry. Whatever you want. You want creature comforts? You get creature comforts, and you will be rewarded accordingly. You want to have a life of addiction? You will be rewarded accordingly. God will reward you in what you keep as your idol. We're not begging people to come into the kingdom of God. We're telling them that this is where life is. Blue Point Bible Church, get a life. Visit us. People living in today's Western society, thought to have everything, are overindulged, overentertained, and yet are too often the most oppressed, bored, anxious generation of all time. The blessed ones are those who possess the kingdom, who have rejected every external thing to find contentment in, have rejected the need to possess stuff. Because this is what it truly means to be poor. We all know the scripture, blessed are the poor, because no longer are they slaves to anything in this world. You know, I believe God is well aware of the seemingly impossibility of his cause in this world. He compared us to seeds. He actually compared us to mustard seeds. The little rebel left inside of me appreciates this because Jewish law forbade planting mustard seeds in the garden. I can only imagine the horror on the faces of the religious leaders when Jesus said, The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed when planted. (laughs) Mustard seeds are oh so small, but when crushed, their potency released. They have had the potential to take over the whole garden. Yes, this kingdom of God, this pesky little weed of a mustard seed, also had healing capabilities. It was something like Vicks, where you could rub it on your chest and it would heal you. The early opponents of Christianity recognized the kingdom of God as a profane conspiracy that, just like weeds, should be exterminated. I read this story recently, I thought it was amazing. In the days before the Roman Empire, Darius, the king of the Persians, sent Alexander the Great a bag of sesame seeds as a taunt showing the vast amount of soldiers he had. Alexander sent back a bag of single mustard seed with the message, you may be many, but we are powerful. That is our call to the world. We are powerful. We need conversion in the best sense of the word. We need to be marked by people who know that another world is possible. We need a complete conversion, a renewing of the mind that believes in the kingdom of God, believes in the promises of God, and is walking in it. We need people who believe so much that another world is possible, that another world is happening, that we begin to enact it in this world. If we truly believe that the kingdom of God is the answer to the world, we must ensure that every single aspect of the way we live our lives is realigned around the person and lordship of Jesus Christ. A dynamic, vital, living reality in response to Jesus in every moment of our lives is the most fundamental truth. We have forgotten it to our great peril. We have one life. I find that this is one of my favorite ways to explain this. A lot of people have their Christian life and then they have their you know real life where they go out with their friends, they do the things you know in their, their regular normal life. they go to work, they have their friends, they have movie night, but then they have their church stuff over here in another life. We have one life. This dualism is an enemy of ours. one life. When you see me at the bar, you see me drinking a beer at the bar, I'm still a Christian. I'm still your pastor. We're in the world, not of the world. When I read the Gospels, I'm caught up in the fact that sinners flocked to Jesus. Some were desperate just to touch him, yet the religious people hated him. It's odd that the church has it the other way around. We have created a false set-apartness between us and the world. In which we don't do the bad things, go to the bad places. You know, we've all heard the quote. Yet we think that makes us Christian. Is that what Jesus did? Jesus Himself embodied what we are called to do. Go among them. Put flesh on the message and liberate the world. Explain and exhibit the kingdom of God to the world. This kingdom message goes way beyond morality, it is worship. Worship is waking up to the message of the kingdom of God in all of our life. Liberating us from our self-imposed idolatry, whether it is addiction, our worldview, or even our simple creature comforts. We are called to be priests to the nations, mediating the proper knowledge of God, the proper worldview, and the way to find life to the full. This requires we be in the world, not of it. We must live our values out in our daily life, not a dualistic life, where we have Sunday mornings in Bible study, then our real life among our friends. We must truly embody the reality that we have answers for the nations concerning everything in life. Blue Point Bible Church, today it starts with you. Salvation isn't simply about changing our behavior. It's about growing more and more in the kingdom of God, being discipled, and bringing that reality to bear on all of our humanity. How you live out this out determines what you know. What message informs your worldview? Are you guilty of idolatry? In the biblical worldview, in order to truly know something, the Hebrew word yadam, you actually had to come into contact with it. There was a personal involvement in order to know. It's intimacy. In order to be intimate with something is how you would know it. You couldn't just observe it, you had to come into contact with it. There must be a mutual and personal involvement. When we deliberately turn our hearts from the love of truth and redefine it to suit ourselves, we will experience the anguish of our choices. Have you turned away from truth? You know, I really believe in the church. When it's true, to its identity and purpose. When it's true to its purpose, it is the most transformative force for good in our society. It must be, because when it's faithful, it is the concentrated expression of the liberating kingdom of God. We are called to bless the world, but if we're not blessing the world, we're neglecting the world. We, the people of God, are carried forward by a view of the world that constitutes our mission. When we are caught up into it and pursue it, we are changed, and we go on to enact history. A man named William Law once said, If you have not chosen the kingdom of God, it will make no difference what you have chosen instead. It will make no difference whether it was women or patriotism, cocaine or art, whiskey or a seat in the president's cabinet, money or science for surely no difference that matters. You shall have missed the end for which you were formed and rejected the only thing that satisfies. Does it matter to a man dying in the desert by which choice of route he missed the only well? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray grace on all of us, Lord, that we will truly embody the only solution to the world, Lord, our call of kingdom now, living out the kingdom of God, Lord. I pray for the great things that are starting here at Blue Point Bible Church, that we will truly become a light to the nations, Lord God. We embody the answer, that we will take that call, that we will answer it. We will not not neglect the world, Lord, but we will bless the world with the message that we hold. I pray that we become disciples of the Lord. I lift up everybody here, Lord, the prayers that were made known, the prayers that were not made known, that we will truly bear testimony to you. I pray in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. When Moses was called to bless Israel, he said this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you and give you peace. God bless you all.